Welcome to We'll Make a Disney Nerd Out of You, and I'm your resident Disney nerd, Tom. This is the podcast where myself and an array of fabulous guests will be exploring the world of Disney, and in particular, what makes Disney so special to us all. And this week, I am very happy to welcome Beth Monroe. Oh, hi, Beth. Oh, hi. How's it going? Oh, it's all right. It's good it's good very excited to have you on I'm so excited to be here I am very very much looking forward to recording this yes and um, <laughs> so um obviously we are quite we're on we've done 10 episodes this is our 11th episode I don't know how I've got to te- ele- episode 11 <laughs> um but I'm very very excited we've had a very very big increase in listeners over the last couple of weeks which has been brilliant um so I'm very excited to um welcome a new Disney nerd and um hear about all about about your Disney so um first of all um, I just was very interested in sort of what um, Disney means to you and um, very rarely asked this question but just in sort of general terms like what is and um, what what does Disney mean to you? I think if I could sum it up in one word it would be family like my okay. family are not as Disney crazy as your family <laughs> I don't think any family out there is um, but just it was just something that like was constantly on in my house when I was growing up like it was something that me and my brother kind of bonded over like we'd always watch Disney movies together when I've been to the Disney parks it's always been with pretty much always been with family so it's just Mm. it's just a real like family thing it's something that we all you know all of my family have kind of seen the same Disney films if you know what I mean so it's one of the things that we can all talk about and all bond over I think I think that it's a general thing for most families I think it's like that it's such an intergenerational thing isn't it and I think every film sort of caters for all generations you know I it there's stuff that even my dad associates to you can imagine my dad watching Mm -hmm. a Disney film you know it's 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 such an important intergenerational thing so what kind of um films did you watch um as a family then uh so I mean growing up with with the renaissance disney era um it was you know aladdin lion king all of that um beauty and the beast little mermaid um and so me and my brother definitely watched those kind of films together they were kind of the ones that my parents would be like oh okay we'll take you to the cinema to see that so very much like those are my era those are my films but also with my with my family in general like my mum and dad like you said with your dad like watching the kind of it's kind of intergenerational so mm. there was like I think probably the one one of the ones we had on the most was like Robin Hood because my brother oh, was like big into archery I and love like a plastic Robin. bow and arrow yeah I love Robin Hood it's such a good film it such is. A good I haven't film. seen it in forever but yeah that is that was one that I remember being on a lot and Sleeping Beauty which actually is one oh. of my favorites but was definitely on on quite a lot yeah so the classic ones and Bambi weirdly considering how sad it mm. is why would you want to watch that over and over I again? I don't know, <laughs> but it was always on. So, it's yeah. I, the thing is, I think it comes down to again, doesn't it? Where we go back to the fact that the films that came out when we were younger, mm-hmm. and like Bambi and um, Sleeping Beauty and Robin Hood were all films that were brought back out during the late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Yeah. So they were the ones that were available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it does this whole like a generational thing. It does depend on 
sort of what was out at the time because Disney have this theme don't they where it's like well they don't anymore but they used to where it was like they bought they re-released something and then it yeah. they, after a year it was taken off sale and then it wasn't out again for another seven years mm. uh, yeah in cycles don't they yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah, I think that was probably a big influence because I think um, yeah, another one that was on all the time, I actually had my bedroom decorated um, as 101 Dalmatians Dang. when I was, oh God, I don't even know, but I had like the wall decals of all of the puppies all over the walls and everything, I had the bedding, it was 100, like just 101 Dalmatians all out completely. <laughs> but I don't remember it being like one of my favourites, but clearly it was. So- so the did you like the um live action 101 Dalmatians? I did, yeah. I think as well I was the right age when that came out to like it. Um so obviously because I was already familiar with the with the cartoon version. Yeah. So then I think when the live action came out, it just they must have re-released the cartoon around the same time or something like oh. that. And it all just came together and was like, Yeah, this is this is my favorite thing ever having both of them yeah no I do I remember the cartoon a lot more vividly than the live action the um the, okay. live action, the bit I remember is Glenn Close like in the what is it like cow poo yes in the straw I remember that bit really vividly the rest of the film don't remember so much but then like the cartoon version I can remember so much of it so what was your first Disney film that you remember sort of going to watch um and seeing as a child yeah, so I've got two answers for this, actually, because the first, the one I actually remember seeing like in the cinema first was Snow White. And I think I was probably about three. And it must have been one of these re-releases. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't remember that much about it. I remember, obviously, the, the Wicked Witch and or whatever her name is um, in it and all of that. But it, it, I think I remember because I know the film from watching it since then. So I kind of have like imprinted memories. And I don't mm. know if it's just my parents telling me that that was the first film I saw. Um, but I th- I'm sure that was the first film I saw in the cinema. But I actually have a, not my memory, but my dad is always telling the story of when I was, I think I was like between like one year old and 18 months. And I was sat on his lap, not facing the TV. And they had Robin Hood on in the background. Again, Robin Hood. This was before my brother was even born <laughs> and obsessed with it. Um, and there's the scene with the water lilies. And there's some kind yeah. of romantic music playing, and I just started crying, like at the music. <laughs> like I'm really sensitive to like film music, apparently. Oh. And apparently, I did it with ET as well. Like the the swell of the music in ET makes made me cry when I was like a really tiny. What child. was it like? It was it like a like a sensory cry? I don't like yeah. this. Or was it no, like I a, think it like, was like I'm an emotional. Sad. Like I'm gonna Aww. connect with the the loving moment of these characters, and it just, <laughs> just made me. And apparently, then every time it came on, I'd cry at that scene. Which so dramatic. Super, I, I I know I'm very much a drama queen, but yeah, <laughs> I've just always been very sensitive to music in movies. Apparently, so yeah, that's not my memory, but I my dad loves to tell that story. That's hilarious. <laughs> How sweet. That's so cute. Okay, so um second my second question so Mm -hmm. if you were a disney sidekick um who would you choose and why okay i'm hoping this counts i'm hoping she counts as a sidekick and i'm i'm sure she'll count as disney because she's technically well it's pixar but i would be i would be edna mode from the incredibles oh yes because i absolutely love her uh i think she is just one of the best side characters in any Disney film 
ever. Yeah. She's just hilarious and she's just, you know, says it how it is. She's just kind of, I want to be her. She's like a funny version of Anna Wintour. Yes, and she really is. I love her. And I just, yeah, she's just the best. And especially in Incredibles 2 with Jack Jack when he's going yeah. through all of the, oh, she's just brilliant. I love her. Such an amazing. I want to be her. <laughs> Such an amazing character. And I love, absolutely love, and um, there's a video on YouTube and um, it's taking the mick out of Madonna. <laughs> and she's like she goes through all of the um oh, the no all of the heroes <laughs> no caves and then she goes madonna brit awards 19 uh, 2017 or whatever it was and you just see then madonna being pulled down by a cape and she goes no capes that's amazing i, I love it i absolutely love it it's so funny oh that's a um, crossover <laughs> so so good like she's just yeah I completely agree like iconic. she she's such an iconic character mm-hmm. such an iconic character yeah I never she's not technically psychic but she technically is she You'll she makes she I would like because she makes the costumes she makes yeah. the superhero costumes so without her they wouldn't be able to be superheroes so yeah, yeah and they don't really have another sidekick in the Incredibles but no they don't really so, yeah they don't really no she's great she's amazing um okay so um who is your favorite villain and why yeah this one is difficult because i there's there's quite a few that like make my the top of my list that i had to choose from but i've i've gone with hades from hercules because i just think it's not necessarily him as a character i think it's the way that it's delivered like that mm. character is played by it's um James Woods, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, and I just think just the sarcasm and just the oh, he's just so like he's just dripping in sarcasm, and I just love it. And my second choice was actually going to be Scar for the same reason. Same reasons. Because just I, yeah, the sarcasm can, is so so good. I can feel I can feel that yeah, sarcasm would be something that I think you would connect to <laughs> with <laughs> on a very <laughs> personal level. <laughs> Me? Sarcastic? Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I just I think that hey, he's not like he's not scary, I don't think, to the audience, but you can see how he's scary to the other characters. Um, which I yeah, think is quite, quite clever. I think he's quite like <laughs> quite a lovable like villain. I I've always loved Hades, yeah. and I like you know I was talking the other week about the fact that you know if I got a villain tattoo like it, I couldn't don't you think I could choose a villain mm. like I just you know I if I, I it'd have to be like a sleeve I'd have to have like a sleeve of oh, villains that would be so cool like you know Hades and like Ursula in the center yeah. with like Cruella and it's yeah. just yeah you know he's definitely even though like. We were in Hercules. We were heading out of like the Disney Renaissance by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such an iconic yeah. villain. Yeah, um, just so many one-liners and just, oh, just yeah. so, it's just such quick humor. I think that's what and I like, like about it as well. It's not obvious, but it's like it's something for the grown-ups almost. I feel like oh, completely written for the grown-ups watching it. Completely, and I just you know, it's it's that he's you know he's got a job to do. Like yeah. this villain has like he's even though he is a villain, his job is crucial to life, you know, yeah. well to death. He, yeah. you know, he's he has got a job to do, and like actually he's been given the raw deal at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. I completely like sympathize with him. I'd be pissed off too. <laughs> you know, if he ended up being like Lord of the Underworld, it's like, well, why couldn't he be a Lord of, I don't know, the oceans or Lord of the like, you know, mm-hmm. has the worst job and the one that the probably the job that actually is constant, that people die all the time. So it's like his job is never ending. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's I I do love him and just the cut his colours, like I know he's it's all black, yeah. but just that electric blue. Yeah, with the blue. And when he gets angry with the hair and the yeah. flames. Yeah, brilliant. So good. Great so, character. so, so good. Um, okay, so I feel like we we've had many singing moments in our in our history. <laughs> um, but if you were to choose um any Disney song to slay on the karaoke, what would it be and why? Okay, it's a cliche, but I have to go with it because I do actually genuinely sing it any time that me and my husband do karaoke together and it's a whole new world. Oh uh, I can I can't do karaoke with Dan and not sing it. <laughs> and it's so one of those songs. If we've ever got a playlist on in the car and it comes on for some reason, we will just the conversation will stop. Don't matter if we're in the middle of a fight, we will sing a whole new world together. I'm I'm the same. Then Martin I don't think sings sings the other part. But you know, it's <laughs> I, I love that song. So I just, <laughs> so I think yeah, I think it's it's a great song. It is overplayed and has had some had some mm. horrendous oh, yeah. horrendous oh, yeah. you know, I said it once before, Katie Price and Peter yeah. Andre, why did that ever yeah. happen? It goes without saying, um, really, doesn't it? Yeah. But you know, it's it is such a great song and I it, you can't help but do the harmony. Like oh, whenever okay. I sing it with someone, like we, like whoever I'm singing it with, I, I always like, I always choose the harmony, and it's like we always harmonise together, and it's like, yeah. it's just ingrained in me. Like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like I could, I, I could literally. I mean, I was going to say I could sing it with my eyes closed, but you know what I mean. Like, I know it yeah. so well. Yeah. I feel like I've sung it so many times. And yeah. have you have you seen the stage show? Uh, no, I haven't. The, no, that I'm... moment is so stunning in the yeah. stage show. They they have the um where the the magic carpet. You physically can't work out how it's moving. Oh, that's clever! I love it when they do magic stuff on stage. It's like it moves, but there is nothing connected to it, that's and it's clever. like it's just beautiful. It's stunning. So well, so well staged. So that's well staged. I, I once saw um. The Pantomime of Aladdin uh, at the Mayflower in Southampton with John from S Club 7 as Aladdin. Ooh, and okay. their flying carpet, definitely you could see what was making it. <laughs> it's not, it's it was it's nothing done, it's special. It was just a big, big hydraulic. Yeah. And you can like, you can hear like they sat on there and then you hear. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was quite cool at the time. I mean, it was, it was a while ago. But he like yeah. came out into the audience on the carpet, oh, wow. but you could 100% see what was going on. Yeah. yeah. The, um... <laughs> on that point well, years ago when I went to see Sound of Music the um, well, the last West End production that had Connie Fisher in oh, it yeah. and Maria and um, I can remember this, I was sat right in the front row I went to see it because my singing teacher from college was in it right and I um I remember <laughs> I remember the bit when the after the first Sound of Music song the um the 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 abbey set came down and you could hear this huge mountain like moving in the background they're having this really beautiful scene and you could just hear "Ah, ah." you just think yeah 
it was just so unseamless and it's just like when you see a moment in in Aladdin that just works so perfectly you know it's just stunning and you have to with that moment Mm. if they got that wrong it just would have ruined the show and I think really important key moment really really important yeah okay so um I um my next question is whether um, you have an interesting um, Disney story from your childhood, adulthood, some point in your timeline, um, whether you've got any interesting Disney stories. So I don't know if this is interesting. It's just a funny story from when I was a kid. Um, but I don't How old would I have been? Probably, I mean, I was young enough to, when I had bars, my parents were in the room. So I don't mm. know, like five um and my nanny and granddad my dad's parents got me uh, an aerial like barbie doll for for christmas or my birthday i can't remember um and she had on this like paper well the tail was essentially made out of like paper right yeah um and the whole i didn't know this as a five six year old but when you put her in the bar it was because it was like oh come in the bath with Ariel, whatever um the tail dissolved so it reveals her human face. Right. And I cried so much that she couldn't be a mermaid again. <laughs> After this sale <laughs> dissolved, I was distraught. I think my parents might have had to buy me another little mermaid doll with like a plastic tail because I was <laughs> that upset that Ariel, because she didn't look like Ariel anymore. She was just a ginger Barbie. So I was, just, I was so upset when I realised that once it dissolved in the water, I couldn't get it back. <laughs> but I mean, how awful is that to make a kid's toy that is literally ruined after one use? Yeah, and the toy disappears forever. Yeah, it was like... just gone. I know. And she still had the purple honest... bra on and everything. And I was like, well, she can't have the purple bra and not the tail. But let's be honest, this was the 1990s. Exactly like, was, yeah. design, toy design wasn't quite <laughs> where it is now. Because I imagine that, you know, the little tail would be like, you know, a hologram, like that you, know, <laughs> yeah. you could touch yeah, you could, and like. You, you 3D print it back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly, it was the most, it was the, just such a clear memory in my head of being just devastated as a child. Just, I was so upset. So upset. I think I hated my nanny and granddad for a while for buying me that toy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the whole, like, it's really interesting you said that because we haven't really talked a lot about Disney toys mm. on on here like that we had as kids. And like I I I when it comes to it, it's really, really, really odd. I didn't actually have a lot of Disney sort of figurines or um or anything like that because I don't really think there was a lot that was accessible for boys does that make yeah. sense yeah definitely definitely and I think like my brother probably he obviously had this bow and arrows from Robin Hood and stuff like mm. that but other than like Toy Story yeah probably the first time that there were accessible yeah toys and for actually boys, really. Toy Story was the first time well, it came out when I was nine, ten. So at that point, I was sort of going off having, you know, toys that I'm going to sit and play with. Yeah. Like with a friend, it, you know, my the get things that I want are sort of by that point were like computer games and yeah. all of those kind of things. Like, so actually, I'd sort of grown out of playing with stuff like that. But you know, I was obsessed with Power Rangers and things like that. So you, they they were the things that I had toy wise. But actually. 
yeah it, it's but my cousin Kim all had loads of Disney stuff yeah. and the one thing the one thing I remember that it was so amazing and we talked about the fact that we used to have like little model villages in my nan's garden she had this um cinderella castle polly pocket amazing I and it had I've like had one i can't remember i don't think i had a cinderella one but i had so many polly pockets it was so like a castle things. and it was like yeah. a huge castle and like you put the figures in like a little on the little um this little turntable and yeah. you could like they used to dance around yeah and then like the window on above like the little stained glass window like this on the disney castle in the parks like lit up and it was I really I cool had that one. now i'm now you're telling me about it i'm fairly sure i had that exact one it was so cool. I was so jealous. Yeah. yeah but there's a very good point, though. Like, there, there weren't Disney toys for boys in the Not 90s. Really. And I guess it's, yeah, like, nowadays it's more, like, people are more skewing towards letting whatever gender their child is, you know, let them play with whatever they want to play with. Not, yeah. Not having saying, gender-specific toys, but, yeah. I suppose, I mean, I had teddies. I had mm. Disney teddies. Mm. Um, I mean, I still have Disney teddies. Yeah, but, you know, it... <laughs> I've got an Edna Mode teddy. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah, I've got an Edna Mode from the Disney store. It's brilliant. Amazing. Right, <laughs> final question before we have a little mini break. So, um, if you were to live your life by um, a Disney quote, what would that Disney quote be and why? Okay, going back to my all-time fave, Edna. Can't let go of this. Um, is her My favourite quote is, Never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. Amazing. And I think that is 100% an important thing to, to live by. It is very much me in terms of I don't really do kind of regrets. I just kind yeah. of go with the flow. If Oh, oh no, that happened. Okay, move on. Um, so that's, it's just very, it's very me. I love it because it's Edna and the way she says it is like a darling. Um <laughs> And just, yeah, I just think it's a really, I think everybody should live by that quote. No, definitely. I complete, like, completely agree. It's very similar to, to John's um, one from, I was listening to his The Beauty and the Beast episode mm. actually today. Um, the one from, um, from Lion King that Rafiki says about, you know, just, you know, not living in the past and not mm. focusing on that past. And that's really important. I can take some life lessons from that for definite, you know. Currently, I'm sort of weight-wise, I'm not happy. I've put weights on. It's like, well, actually, like I've got to stop living in the past. I'm not going to. It's not going to go if I'm worrying about living in the past and what I've eaten. But actually, if I think about the future, then I can do something about it. Um, exactly. Yeah, you've got to always be looking. Yeah, exactly. Just looking forward and focusing on what's to come rather than things you can't change that are already behind you. Definitely. And I think, you know, what important, I, I'm, I'm going to start putting some of these quotes up on the old Insta. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, and um, we are going to have a very short break. Lovely. And then when we come back, we are going to um, delve into the amazing film, Pocahontas. Yay! I'm excited. Which- I'm so excited. I kind of um, can't believe nobody chose it before me because it is such a classic. It is such a classic. It is such a classic. And such a stunning score by uh-huh. my one of my other favourite all-time musical theatre composers, Stephen Schwartz. And 
Um, so yeah, lots and lots to talk about. So I will see you after the break. If you want to get in touch with us at We're Make a Disney Out of You and tell us about your Disney, then follow us on Instagram at Disney underscore nerd underscore podcast, or you can email us at disnerdpod at gmail.com. Now back to the magic. And welcome back. So this week we are um, looking into the 1995 classic Pocahontas. Yay. So. Beth, why is Pocahontas your favourite Disney film? Well, I mean, as I think I said before, Aladdin is actually my true favourite, but I'm letting you have that one. Um, But Pocahontas is, it's just, it's so nostalgic for me. It is one of those films that was constantly on when I was a kid, and I know it was for me, not my brother, because I don't Mm. even think he remembers watching it. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't even really know why because re-watching it recently I was like yeah it's great it's a good Disney film but there's nothing like that I can remember like six and seven year old me really clinging on to so I think it may be just like the character of Pocahontas being kind of a badass and kind of a tomboy that kind of thing probably spoke to me she is a pretty good female role model that's she is yeah Um, I so if you don't mind me asking, what year were you born? So I'm trying to work this out yeah. in my head. So I was born in 89. So if this came so, out, okay. would you say 96 did it come out? So you would have been about six. Yeah. This film came out. Seven, yeah. So um, that, I would say, when you're sort of six, seven, that's the mm-hmm. year that I think you... Because I was about six, seven when Aladdin came out. So yeah. I think that's the year that's the time when you really grasp onto that Disney film. You're yeah. old enough to be really aware of the themes of the film and, and you know, the cat, the storyline and not just like the little bits. Oh, I like the songs and all those kind of things. But mm-hmm. um, also you're not old enough to be like, oh, Disney, do you know, what? I, I'm not into that anymore. Yes, that makes definitely. Sense? So, yeah. So I think sort of talking to sort of lots of people about, Sort of their favorite family quite often is that six and mm-hmm. seven year old sort of age gap that I think actually is where everyone's favorite sort of fits. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I and obviously, you know, that is something that you would have been very aware that would you would have come out, you would have noticed that coming out of the cinema. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, now you mention it, I suppose me saying the sort of Aladdin and that lot is my favorite, and Little Mermaid is is obviously up there um they have become my favorites I think since I was an adult mm. and I think Pocahontas was my favorite as a kid and I think you're right I think it's because it was exactly the right age for it to come out and I think alternately like my brother's a year no he's in a year and a half two and a half years younger than me and his favorite mm. was always Lion King or Toy Story and I think Toy Story probably came out in 1998 so it was, it was actually so we are we are now so 95 was a big year so um this 95 94 95 was like lion king pocahontas and toy story wow toy story is earlier than i thought it was yeah so I, it came out when i was about nine ten. yeah toy story so um it was quite that mill point in the 90s was huge for disney yeah, like it massive. was 
the big blockbusters that you know we still count as the huge Disney blockbusters, Lion mm-hmm. King and Toy Story in particular. Yeah, that that was when they came out. Yeah, I kind of feel sorry for Pocahontas because having to go up against those two. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'll, I'll come to that in just in two ticks because yeah. I mean, this film for me, I I actually never um, I never watched it as a child. I never had it. It wasn't my Disney at mm-hmm. all, um, and. It came, it came out and I think it was my cousins that brought it on video. I mm. didn't have it on video and it wasn't something particularly I watched. And I think the only time that I did watch it was when I was visiting their houses. So yeah. I think that for me, you know, it was never a big part of my Disney. Yeah. Um, but I've grown, I've grown to love it for different reasons. I've grow, grown to love it for the fact that um, I mean, I'm a huge Stephen Schwartz um, fan, yeah. and obviously Alan Menken. Yeah, um, music's amazing. So yeah, and I, I that's where my association comes with it. Yeah. Um, but the thing, I think the thing that I've grown to love this time round watching it because it's one of these films that I don't. It's one of my Disney's that films that I don't watch regularly, but when I yeah. do watch it, I discover something new and another reason why I love it. And the this time round, it was all the sidekicks. Yes, I, I knew you were going to say that. I knew. I don't know how. I was like, yeah, because I think I had the same reaction when I rewatched it recently. And yeah, all of the animals are just so like the characters. They're are just so well written and yeah. animated. It, yeah, they're brilliant. The campus dog ever. <laughs> And, yeah, I love him. And just the relationship between the hummingbird and Miko, like, yeah. it's just so good. You know, like, we, like the hummingbird, like, almost sort of bossing around, like the the really, um, like the small, like yeah. small animal bossing the large animal around and getting quite angry with him and all of that kind of stuff. I just loved, and I, I yeah, it just absolutely brilliant. And like their storyline as well through it, that you know, you get this whole storyline of understanding. Um, sort of understanding uh, different cultures and finding that balance between cultures but mm-hmm. I find the animals find that balance a lot sooner yeah, than the human yeah yeah they do definitely because it's almost like the dog has to like come, get go come into balance with the animals of America mm-hmm. so that he can actually survive if that yeah. makes sense because he yeah. gets lost and things so I I yeah I they're they I think they are my favorite characters from this film for definite. Yeah. I'm with you there. And, they are brilliant. They yeah, I think they they do make it. And you know what, Grandmother Willow as well. She's a yeah. sidekick technically. She's great. She's just so like she's like everybody's like cheeky wise grandma. Definitely. Brilliant. Love her. And like you know the fact that she's like with her vines, she's sort of like holding John Smith's face yeah. and like he's handsome. He's nice. Yeah. Um, He's uh yeah, I there there's some really good um characters in this. The film does have some problems though. Of course. And it's sort of I hate to say it. I mean I obviously I am the biggest Disney fan, but there are so many points in the last, particularly last 30 years, where Disney has just got it really wrong. Yeah. And this was one of these moments, I feel. Um, so do you know much about the history of Pocahontas? Not really I know kind of the very basics of 
like the fact that you know she came to London eventually and died of the cough or something because I was talking to my colleague the other day and she's her grave is actually like right by his house apparently okay so that was interesting didn't know that um and yeah that's kind of all I know I but I, I feel like the story maybe even the story that I've been told of her real life has probably been whitewashed quite a lot yeah and I you know I a lot of so a lot of it sort of transcends further than Pocahontas so um you know we're sort of looking at the so the appropriate I, we, we, we're thinking about a word for this and I've lost it again but so <laughs> the the appropriateness of yeah. of this film and, and the I racial right what did you say the racial um <laughs> I can't remember um yeah. trying to be clever um so obviously the um in America from sort of the 16th century um there we saw lots of settlers from from Europe in particularly the UK Holland um and from uh, like Spain and Portugal um and at this time obviously there was lots of Native American um tribes um that were displaced and the thing that obviously this film is really missing is just this whole concept that you know these Europeans arrived and it was like almost like you you become one of us yeah. or you die and yeah. basically um and um, Martin my boyfriend did a little bit of research for me this week and um so a big thank you to him on this um he was watching a, a documentary and um and pulled some information for me for this so the he was saying that the Native Americans um were seen as a problem by the the colonizers and the settlers mm. um basically were forcing them out of their lands and the mm. um the government um had forced them out to and to walk hundreds of miles across mountains and lakes to find new land so part of the choice was that you go and find new land we resettle you somewhere else because we want your land um and this was called the trail of tears Um, and it was called the trail of tears because obviously um when they arrived the land that they were given was barren yeah and was of no use to them and things that they were used to growing such as maize and things was just ungrowable where they were sent and yeah. essentially then caused a lot of death yeah god our ancestors were horrible people they were they were and you know these so that is one one side but then there were a group of settlers who um who didn't want to get rid of them but wanted them to, to help they call it sort of helping them to thrive in the new america mm. so they um, and they were called the friend. They called themselves the friends of the Indians. Um, so they they wanted to phys- They didn't want to physically eradicate them, but they wanted to erase their culture. Yeah. So there is almost like that whole concept of you Just know. That's bad, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You 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 either accept our culture and live by our culture, or you you know, it, yeah. it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the government sort of. Um, partnered with local missions and churches um, created schools to teach the Native American children to forget their tribal practices. 
Um, and obviously at the time Christianity was so huge that it was, you know, that was the only way that um, they believed that people should live. Um, So just completely and utterly eradicating their, their culture, their traditions, everything. Um, I mean, these schools were rife with abuse, neglect, um, and, you know, essentially (laughs) caused a lot of the erasing of what, we call the indigenous people of america yeah um so this film is set in amongst all of this and these this awful choice that these people are having to make um and it's sort of it's not addressed in this film and i think no, it's not i mean they just sort of say if they attack you then kill them but there's none of the whole there's none of the kind of erasing of them or the, mm. the want to do that this the driver for, for and the you, villain is gold right in, and do you, in yeah London. and you almost get the sense at the end that you get this like sense that they're going to um live in harmony mm-hmm. and it's like yeah that <laughs> never <laughs> happened that never happened no, no. um I, I i get it disney have got to do what they've got to do to sell their films but i would really hope that this is one film that i would like to see a live action version made of yeah and, and just, just write the wrongs completely this is yeah. the film out of all the films that they've done this is the film that disney have got to right their wrongs and yeah. um they've got it it needs to be in the pipeline i don't think it is but i think it is something but maybe they're just too scared to i was just going to say that i think that at the moment it's probably too soon for them to to know how to deal with it properly they're probably too mm. scared that they'd create even more of a backlash it's too much of a risk Definitely, I think so. I, but you know, I I would love them to take the, you know, to have the bravery in order to do that because I think mm. there are people out there. If they, you know, what what's quite sad is that they did a lot to try and get the right advice, but I don't think a lot of that advice and support from um, people from those communities that exist now. I don't think a lot of that advice was taken. Um, yeah. I mean, even when it comes to actually the story of Pocahontas herself, it's mm. the story, the film could not have been any further from the truth. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is very, very different. And the thing that I, was, you know, I said to you before we started recording, and I, I don't know, and it came as a bit of a shock to me when I found out, and I found out a couple of years ago, um, John Smith actually didn't marry Pocahontas and they didn't live ev- happily ever after. See, I did know that, but only because in Pocahontas 2, she doesn't end up with John Smith. And ah, I was very okay. sad about it. So, I've only seen it once and I was really annoyed that she didn't. So I had never seen Pocahontas 2, mm. mainly because I've been warned not to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good, but that's the only reason because I was like, hang on, right. what? She doesn't end up with John Smith? Google that, yeah, and yeah, so, didn't in real life. I grew up. My this is the problem with this film. I would say is that I grew up um, believing this story of Pocahontas that you know John yeah. Smith came back and and saved her and and all yeah. of this. And you just think, oh, actually, 
I, you, this has all come from this Disney-fied yeah. version of the truth. Um, but actually, she um, she stayed in America um, when John Smith was injured and went back um, to the UK. And um, while, while he was in the UK, she met a guy. Uh, bear with me a second, I can't find his name. Yeah, I, I'm thinking um, it's a guy from the SF John, film and I can't remember his name either. John, it's another John. Oh, his name was John Rolfe. So, oh, John Rolfe, um, yes. Yeah. John Rolfe, yes. So, um, yeah, so he he married her. And um, when, in the comeback to the minute, when she was still quite young, and took her to the UK, where obviously her body was not immune to the illnesses and diseases that we had in our country, and she died. Yeah, that's what I mean. I said she died of a cough, essentially. That's what I was always told, like, by my dad, who watched Pocondas with me and then went, ah, I like her old crap. Yeah. Um, that's not what happened in my true dad, <laughs> my dad's true form. Of, I mean, which is a good thing that he wanted me to know the historical true. accuracy. Um, but yeah, that was that was his way of, of being like, yeah, no, she she is buried in the UK and she died of a cough. I was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. Nice ending and... to my favourite Disney film. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've got that she was um, she was buried in Gravesend. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I'm trying to think where my colleague lives, but yeah, he said it's just down the road from him, wherever it is, and he, he yeah. can visit it and stuff. So yeah. So yeah, he was. She was buried in Gravesend, and she never got to see John Smith ever ever again. Um, but she, so she was also the other thing in all of this, which is so awkward. The actual real life poke contest when she met John Smith, mm. she was twelve. Yeah, that's that's problematic very problematic and essentially you you get this a lot with those Disney films only that when you actually really look into the storyline mm. you realize that the princess is very very young yeah so um, when was when you know what what year that was I'm just so I think I think she was born in 1595. I think that's the year that's commonly accepted the, as the year of her birth. Okay. And the reason for that was because the film... Are, yeah. are, did you get this fact? Was this the Ooh, fact you no, were going to No, this isn't the fact. No. Well, the film were, came out um, between June the 23rd and the 25th, yeah. 1995, mm-hmm. which was exactly 400 years wow. after her birth. That's crazy. No, my fact that I've just found from Google when looking up who she married in the UK is that she actually was married to Cocoam in 1610. Mm. So she would have been 15. Yeah. And she did marry Cocoam after she'd met John Smith, interestingly enough. So I imagine, you know, mm. that that's the fact that it would have been an arranged marriage. Oh, like yeah, definitely. Young. But I didn't, I didn't know that he was a real person. Yeah, 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 I, I did, I did find that when I was doing a quick research this afternoon. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, he, the whole, there are so many inaccuracies in this film. But I, you sort of almost sort of got to go. The bit that they got wrong was the racial aspect of this film and yeah. the racial inequalities that that they are showing in this film, and yeah. um, but also the thing you've got to sort of almost got to put that aside and say that Disney have got to do something at some point to, um, to change that. Yeah. But 
we also have to accept that this is a film that is very nostalgic and it is, is nostalgic. because it does have some important qualities. So mm. obviously this is the first interracial romance in yeah. an animated film, in a Disney film. Yeah, and she um, would have been the first um, princess that was a person of colour as well, I assume. Um, or does Jasmine I, count? Yeah, I think Jasmine no, counts. Jasmine, yeah. Jasmine counts. Before, I'm thinking Aladdin was after, but no, Aladdin was before Bo Conk. Yeah. yeah. So Jasmine does get so she she wasn't the first um, princess. Oh, and Mulan. When did Mulan come out? Mulan was a couple of years after this. Oh, okay, okay. But interestingly, this is the one of two films, mm. one of two Disney animations that tells a true story. What's the other one? Mulan. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. But isn't Mulan, is Mulan actually a true, true story? Is it like a legend? It's a legend, but there are, there are lots of evidence to show that Mulan was real. Okay. I don't know how much of the story was real, but right. she was a real character in Chinese hmm. history. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, and I think that, if anything, you know, what this did for me as an adult, not as a hmm. child, but as an adult, um, you know, as a responsible adult, I have then researched and found out the true story of Pocahontas. So, yeah. if anything, even though it's told us an accurate, an accurate story, um, it has sort of spurred me to go and find out that true story about her. And you know, yeah. that's that's important in itself. And I think it's important to remember as well that now, if that film, if the film as it was came out today, like there would be an absolute uproar. So it's good mm. to see how much we have evolved as like the general public and our reaction to things like that because now we would be like no hang on disney you're you're cancelled or whatever hashtag cancelled that kind of thing it would not fly so that's kind of nice to know that what is it i don't know i can't do math in my head 20 years later 25 years later 25 years late 25 years years later yeah i forget how old i am um (laughs) that, that we have evolved that much as mm. kind of a community, I suppose, and as people that we now would never accept that. So the obviously within that is this the word savages, you know, and I think yeah. you know, it depends on how you look at it, but it's the the historical context of it is is that the right word to use? Um yeah. is they need to probably make more reference that the savages is the wrong word to use. And I think they do, because you have the, mo- the scene with John Smith and Pocahontas where yeah. he is saying, um, you know, actually, I think you're you're wrong and um, that you, I, you, know, you shouldn't be calling me a savage because um, I'm not a savage person. Um, yeah. It's it's the, the your history and, and um, your makeup is telling you that I'm the savage just because yeah. you don't know me. Yeah, when in reality, it, it, I mean, the white people in that film were the savages because they were the ones that were mm. going around raping and pillaging and whatever. And yeah, there's a line in Colours of the Wind, isn't there? Like, if um, the savage one is me, how can there be so much that you don't know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's. I think it's, I don't, I mean, it's probably not for me to say as a white English person, but I think they that's one of the things in the film I don't think they tackle badly because they do show it from the native people's point of view. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, Sorry. I don't I don't necessarily I mean yeah, savage is probably it's the wrong word to use, but at least they acknowledge it. 
Yeah, they do. And I think that scene in particular was done well. Yeah. What um what I what I what I do think is that you've got to sort of take this film as in it's opening um, a generation of ch- it opens a generation of children to the plight of um, a people within our history, and I think that a plight that is still happening today. And oh, um, even if it it didn't do the, a great job of it, it um, it it did its best. Yeah, and I think as, yeah, I think as well. Like it, the story of Pocahontas, I think before this film. And and still today, really, it's part of American history. So yeah. it's not taught to us as English kids because it's part, it's, you know, they're like Thanksgiving and the pilgrims and all of that. And they learn about that in America, but we don't know about that. But it is our ancestors. It's, they came from here. So we I do find learning it, about that as well. I do find it very funny that actually we don't, in the UK, we don't learn about American history. Yeah, we don't at all. We don't at all, and you know, I, I really hope. I, mean, I think history, teaching of history, has changed a lot since we were at school. Yeah, I hope it has because you think <laughs> I, I do think it was taught still very much of this imperial viewpoint. Oh, um, um, but anyway, that's all of the 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 bad points of the film. <laughs> I think so we many. need to focus on we need to focus on some really good stuff. So yes, please, yes, please. <laughs> Um, the music of this film, oh, for me, so good. is beautiful, and Amazing. I, I am a huge Stephen Schwartz fan. You know, he wrote Wicked. He mm-hmm. wrote. I was in a production of Godspell that he wrote, and yes, also, I see and did you come see that? I did come see it. Was in the church. In you Wickham, did. I did. It was in the church that. in Wickham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. You did, we were all whispers. Um, and uh, he also wrote uh, Pippin, which I, another musical which I absolutely adore. Mm. Um, and he's, you know, he's got um, a history of, of, of just some, some stunning, stunning work. And yeah. this is one of some of his best work, I would say. Has he done any um, other Disney films? He has. So he did the music, it was involved in the music for um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, that's good. So another Disney film that is really rooted in its music, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's really, actually, it's kind of, you can, you can kind of hear the comparison, actually. I mean, I have, it's been years since I've seen Hunchback of Notre Dame, but the music, yeah, it sticks with you and it's, it's a very similar kind of vein to Pocahontas I think Hunchback of Notre Dame music wise it's that's kind of weird it is and I and I know it's we we are talking here that this is the peak and sadly I've got to say probably the end of the Disney renaissance because Mm. Mulan sort of comes into it sort of doesn't but it's for me, music wise, it's the end of, of that sort of epic kind of musical yeah. theatre score within mm-hmm. Disney. Um, Hunchback and Notch Dam in this, but I think were sort of for me the end. Um, but and it was, it, you know, Alan Menkin was still involved at this point, um, and um, 
and I know he still gets involved now, but you know, he without Howard Ashman, you're sort of losing that one little bit that makes yeah. the Disney Renaissance so such a huge thing. And mm. um, but yeah, so the music for me, I mean, I I I love Colors of Your Wind. Uh, Colors is Colors of the Wind, not Your Wind. <laughs> Colors of Your Wind. <laughs> Colors of Your Wind. <laughs> On that point. Have you seen that video on YouTube? Did, did, did I ever send it to you? I don't know. I don't think so. It's basically, uh, this Pocahontas, this can get quite crude now, Pocahontas stood on top of the cliff mm-hmm. and she farts. I was going to say, I can imagine exactly what it is. <laughs> and as she farts, the, the leaves and the breeze like blow it towards <laughs> the ship. And, it, and John Smith like sniffs the air. And <laughs> yeah, I know which bit. Yeah, I can picture it in the film, but I haven't seen this clip. I will send it to you. <laughs> I when sometimes I just need to have a laugh. I do put that on because it That's is just brilliant. so funny. That's it's just really so well timed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a bit not colours of your wind, no. colours of the wind. Yes, um, right. and but I I do love that song. But for me, it's just around the river bend. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I absolutely love that song. And it was one I, because uh, my husband Dan has never mm. seen Pocahontas, much really? to my astonishment. But I mean, yeah, grew up, only child, didn't really grow up around like Disney, so no princesses mm. or anything. Um, yeah, and I was, <laughs> well, we had a Disney playlist on in the car and I was singing along to Just Around the River Bend and he was like, what is this? Like, what's this from? And I was like, I know all of the words. I can reenact it. I know exactly what's happening. I know when it's, she sees Cocom in the water. It's <laughs> no, so good. good. It's, it's a good such time. a beautiful number. And it, you just get, I, for me, you just get a sense of this river running. And it, yeah. it's just for the speed of the music and, you know, and tie that in with the animation, actually, in the yes. film. It's just beautiful. I mean, yeah. it, the animation in this film is something special mm-hmm. yeah you get amazing. you get this sense of you know it's very classic disney animation mm-hmm. but at the same time you get this almost like sort of watercolor washes for all of the scenes and these other sort of layers implemented to sort of get get this almost like spiritual sense yeah. of the film and it's I, sort of watching it with martin earlier we sort of it was something he picked up on this idea of, you know, the layers within the texture within the um, animation is just stunning. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get when you see the leaves in Grandmother Willow's branches, you yeah. get the sense of the sound they're going to make even before you hear the sound, and it's mm. it's just beautiful, really, yeah. really beautiful. I agree with you, and I think that song as well. Just going back to just around the river bend, it's like what you said about it being like musical influence it the, the sort of the swell of the music and everything and the the climax of it it's it could so easily be done on stage like mm. you can just you can picture somebody singing it on stage and like living it it's it's really it's odd though program. because i don't i of all the disney films i could never imagine this one on stage i just think the staging of it is just too Oh, it'd be too difficult. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't imagine the whole show on stage. I just, it's there's too much. It's because it's, I think, Mm -hmm. the fact that so much of the story is rooted in, like, nature and the environment and, you know, 
how high can the sycamore grow there's no real way you could you could portray that on stage i don't think no and as you said don't know if it's quite right for disney to be doing at the moment yeah, yeah maybe just steer away stick clear of that one disney <laughs> so, um so a few sort of general facts um about the film so um did you know john candy famous for um, films like Cool Runnings and Home Alone. Um, he was supposed to be in this film. I do know this fact. This is probably the only pure fact I do know, I think, so he, what you're going to say. So, yeah, he was supposed to be a, a turkey called Red, Red Feather. Yeah, and he was a talking and turkey. <laughs> a talking turkey. But I think at that point, I think the fact that I read was that at that point, all of the animals were going to talk. Oh no, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, so I'm sort of glad. I mean, I'm glad that I'm not glad that he died, but you know, I'm sort of glad that the film took that direction because it just wouldn't have worked. It would have ruined the tone of the film completely. Yeah. Um, But the um, he was supposed to play as Turkey, and he, um, but sadly died before um, in pre-production. So they had to completely rethink the whole concept of the animals hence why they are now mute yeah um i think there's too many of them for them all to be talking as well like yeah. even if it was just sort of the turkey and the dog or whatever like it's one talking animal is enough you know yeah I mean? like you can't have all the animals talking unless it's the lion king or bambi i think four animals just would have been too much it would have yeah. been one too many i oh, think there's okay. enough with the three of them and yeah, I don't, I don't, I think a fourth animal would have just taken it. And John Candy as well, because he's such a big personality, he just would have drowned out the film, I think. Yeah. Um, I imagine it would be like a comedy character as well. And there isn't mm. really that much comedy in it. Like there's the, I can't no. remember his name, you know, the little, uh, little wiener guy oh. that goes around after the, oh my God, I can't remember anything. Oh, name. yes. Um, oh, um, Wilfred. Really Wilfred. Something, something like that. that. Wilson, yeah. something. Yeah, him. yeah. He's kind of the comedy relief i guess but other than and then the animal characters obviously but it's not that kind of bawdy um belly laugh comedy that you get no. with some disney films and i think yeah that would have it would have taken it in a completely different direction yeah definitely and, I, and it wouldn't have been the right direction i think for this film mm-hmm. um but the so the obviously billy Connolly is a voice and because of this film and obviously mel gibson is also in this film as john mm-hmm. smith yeah. wrong choice in my oh, opinion can i just can i just say why does he have an american accent i know it drives me like, mad what? why it's like, i why? can't do it i can't do a british accent so i'm just not gonna do it it's so infuriating I think but I also quite kind of think the reason they did it you know how a lot of villains are British yeah anything and he wasn't supposed to be a villain so I think they almost did that on purpose to be like hey American audiences there's nothing bad about you you're fine it's the Brits that are evil yeah Uh, I I I agree with you I think actually thinking about it that's actually quite a good point um Like Scar's got an English accent. Um, yeah, I think Mother Gothel's kind of a little bit English entangled, kind of yeah. like that transatlantic accent. Like it's 
there's there's quite a few and and just general films not even disney necessarily like the villain is always like german russian or english yeah and just on the point of the villain this is just talking back to some of the other villains we spoke about in the past Mm. it's another camp villain (laughs) i I love it i absolutely love it it's just like he's he's just so engrossed in his own self-worth and Mm. his own um, his own means that he just is so blinkered to what he's actually causing and it's that this his actual song it's like I think is a bit of a a hidden gem because that you get this stunning moment where he's walking down the staircase yeah <laughs> this gold glittery cape and it's mm-hmm. like I'd love to do that <laughs> I can totally see you doing that. <laughs> I'd love to be walking down in a gold gl- glittery cape. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? A little pug? <laughs> yeah, Harry, my little pug. Um, yeah, I love it. But from this film, um, Billy Connolly and obviously Mel Gibson's already attached to the film Braveheart. Oh, right. Of Mel Gibson working with Billy Connolly and Billy Connolly going like they being so good in this film that they went actually we want him in Braveheart so he was put in Braveheart as King oh, Robert yeah. I didn't know that that's interesting yeah because of this film I do um, love Billy Connolly I love him the, the one thing I completely forgot to do this week was to find hidden Mickeys and Disney Easter eggs oh, so no. I might I might try and find some unless you uh, did you find any no I don't know any in Pocahontas it's one of those ones because it's because it's so because it's like true story and it's you it's not something you think about like I think mm. ones like when you've spoken about like Aladdin I know that one and like Hercules I know the, the couple in there like I there's some that are more uh, comedy and more magic based that I feel like the yeah. is more obvious whereas this I feel like they would really have to hide them yeah and I think I think there is one in in Grandmother Willow, but I'd need to check that. I think there's like okay. a hidden Mickey in Grandmother Willow. I need to go and I will post if I find any, I will post some on the gram on I the internet. Like there must be something in like when the leaves blow or something. Yeah. Like or something like that. It's gotta be something. There's gotta be somewhere, somewhere, yeah. something somewhere. Yeah. Um so um sort of moving on then to the end of the film. Mm. Um and I sort of had the end of the film just as a, as a topic to talk about because um, this is one of the only moments in the film that is really rooted in truth. Yeah. Because supposedly Pocahontas, at 12 years old, when they were about to kill John Smith, stood over him. Yeah. Apparently. And protected him um, so that he didn't die. And I, I absolutely adore this ending because I think it does do what, Disney wanted to do with this film mm. it was just everything that came before it wasn't right um, but we, you get this sense of um, them sort of understanding cult- their, each other's culture, it didn't happen yeah. in real life but you know it's important in um, in teaching a message I would say yeah, um, yeah. and when I was watching it this time, I never really thought about it. You got the moment when, sort of going back a little bit, when Kokum gets killed. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, no, this actually is Romeo and Juliet. This is actually is the bit where Tybalt gets killed. This is like, yeah. 
the two oh. sides. I never really thought that there is some kind of connection oh, there. You know, yeah, I never thought of that. Being, being Tibbot being killed by the innocent. Do you know what I mean? Being yeah. killed by someone who who doesn't want to kill and. It's yeah. I I just was like, oh, she's got some really rooted truth in that sort of moment, and mm. yeah, I just That's didn't. I'm probably completely wrong, but I've, I've just... never I've never thought of that. And you, yeah, it is very similar. But then they do say like, you know, there's only so many stories in the world, and they can just be told in different ways. True. So maybe true, true. they thought of that, or maybe it was like an inspiration or something. But it's it's a very good parallel. Yeah, and I think it has, you know, this ending, it, it ties in this whole idea of, you know, following the path of your dreams mm-hmm. and, and that this the moment with the compass and the, the symbolism of the spinning arrow. Um, and it just ties all of that in perfectly. And I think Disney did something right here, mm-hmm. even though it's not historically accurate yeah they did do something right and her understanding what she needs to do um but yeah I just I do love this film I do love this film and every time I watch it I do find a new love for this film and a new connection to it um hence you know the Romeo and Juliet story all of they like and actually now working on sort of like the historical aspect of it the history nerd in me yeah um gets excited about this film but I yeah I, I I think it's got a lot there's a lot more that Disney can can do with this film yeah yeah and I think you're right yeah if they did a live action they they would have to get it on the money like it could not mm. they could not risk getting any part of it wrong or being any kind of racially insensitive yeah um, at all so yeah I think I think you're right in that, that it's just too much of a risk for them but it could be a risk that pays off quite well because they could write all those wrongs from the if they could mm. if they could and they're starting to do with different films that, that they're mm. bringing out at the moment yeah um so thank you because obviously for that point of rediscovering it in a new light um I have loved watching it again um and rediscovering the music um i'll probably be listening to it on my way to work on monday um <laughs> the and um, so this is the first of our two weeks next week i am really excited i don't know if you've seen this film i have but a long time ago so there's so many reasons why i love this film so next okay. week um we are going to be exploring the rescuers down under I'm excited about this. I definitely watched this a lot when I was a kid. Like, I know I said in the first part of this one that, you know, there were certain Disney films that were on all the time. I don't know if the Down Under version was on all the time, but the Rescuers 100% was, we, was on 24-7. We definitely, can't, we definitely can't not talk about Rescuers when we talk about Rescuers oh, Down Under. Um, and we will be talking about the Rescuers as well, of course. But um, there's a reason why I want to focus on Rescuers Down Under. And I'll obviously go into that next week a little bit more. Oh, um, so um, what I would like you to do for me for next week. So yeah. over on our second week, I always get my guests to give me their five questions that they want yeah. to find out about my Disney. Um and then also, I would like you um, to come up with five very short questions as a short trivia. Um, and so last time, Holly 
got the Disnerd crown. Um, <laughs> I think I'm on really shamefully. I'm I'm on guest three, me two. So <laughs> okay. And so yeah, you, the idea is to try and catch me out and get the Disnerd crown yourself. So right. um, so yeah. So technically, you're doing ten questions for next week. Okay, I can manage. Okay, that. I can do that. Amazing. So <laughs> yeah, I will see you next week. See you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.